Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Victor Briere and Joe Rich. That's right, everyone. We got two this week. Uh, Victor Briere is an Ayurvedic doctor, and Joe Rich is a Kundalini teacher. Uh, these guys talk to us about uh, Ayurvedic medicine, which is basically like a thousand-year-old system based out of India, and uh, it pretty much looks at medicine in a more holistic approach. So it's a really cool episode. I hope you enjoy. Please check me out on Instagram at NoorKidWai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. It always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guests this week, Victor Briere and Joe Rich. All right. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Victor Briere and Joe Rich. Uh, thanks for joining me, guys. You're welcome. Thanks Absolutely. for having us. Yeah, this is going to be a fun episode. So, uh, Victor, you're a Ayurvedic doctor, and uh, this is something I've always been interested in. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like a newbie on this, so I hope you can like walk through me a little bit on uh, basically uh, how you guys uh, look at medicine and like look at the body. Sure. So Ayurveda is the sister science of yoga. That's where a lot of people, especially in the West, can start. And I don't mean yoga like, you know, you go to the gym and work your abs yoga. That's just doing postures. <laughs> yoga in the, in the original sense of it, which is to unite yourself with spirit or turn the small you into the big you, that kind of yoga. Mm. So Ayurveda is basically taking those principles and applying them to the medical world to keep your body healthy and heal from chronic diseases and better if you can prevent disease altogether. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, I guess, would be like seen as like the more whole, holistic approach. You're kind of looking at the whole body as like a whole all the time, right? Exactly. The idea that we can separate the body into all these different parts and pieces is convenient for talking or studying. But at the end of the day, we live as a whole. Mm -hmm. No, and uh, that's always one thing I loved about that uh, idea of like uh, Ayurvedic medicine or like other types of medicine is to actually like look at the whole body because i don't think yeah knowing western medicine it doesn't seem like we do that too much really right <laughs> no one specialist to the next specialist to the next specialist right and they don't talk to each other yeah but in our body our liver talks to our heart our heart talks to our kidneys and and round it goes so i think that the medicinal system should reflect that yeah and uh i, I was gonna ask uh but like maybe we can get in this a little bit more deeper later, but like, do you see like uh, areas where Western medicine and Ayurvedic medicine are like starting to like uh, join or work together? Yeah. More and more these days. Uh, still a long way to go. Yeah, no, I bet. And then uh, also we got uh, Joe Rich here and uh, Joe, you're a Kundalini teacher. Am I correct? Yeah. I've been teaching it for 22 years. Nice. And, uh, how so does kundalini low, uh, yoga and uh, ayurvedic uh, is that like kind of is there any much of a connection there or do they share like similar uh, places they come from absolutely and like victor said they're sister sciences so 
the idea was that the, uh, the, the yoga teacher, the spiritual teacher throws you out of balance because he or she challenges you and Ayurvedic doctor puts you back into balance so you can stay healthy and keep doing the practice of yoga. They found out that if you aren't healthy, you can't do your practice. So the yogis tried to stay healthy. And the way they did that was by creating a system of medicine called Ayurveda. And then guys like Victor became doctors of Ayurveda and took care of the yogis. Okay. So how do you guys work together then? Like uh, you're saying like somebody throws them out of balance and the other person puts them back in. Like, uh, can you explain that a little bit? Well, actually, you know, Victor was just speaking and you were speaking of the holistic concept. But if you look at yoga and consciousness, it's exactly the same parallel. So you have individual consciousness, you have group consciousness, and you have universal consciousness. And if you look at all the issues that plague mankind today, you can also see that in the same exact parallel. So now think of it, Ayurveda, think yoga, or just think social causes. If somebody's sitting alone in their house doing their sadhana or their, their daily meditation, they come to consciousness, that's great. There's the individual reaching consciousness, but that doesn't do much good for your next door neighbor. So now you, you have your, your group environment. So you have your family, the people around you. Parallel to that would be like Victor was saying, so you may have a disease of the heart but your heart's talking to your kidneys, your kidneys are talking to your lungs. So it doesn't do any good to think of the heart as this isolated organ. It doesn't do you any good to think of yourself as the isolated person sitting in your meditation room. And it doesn't do us any good as a society to think of ourselves as isolated individuals. Mm. So you see, we have to break through these concepts in all areas of life. So now you see yourself as a group, as a part of a group, right? So now you go to a yoga center and you do yoga maybe with 10 or 15 other people. That's your group, your community. Mm -hmm. Same thing with organs. Victor deals with you, not just with your heart, but he also looks at the health of your kidneys, your lung, your brain, central nervous system. We look at our social causes and say, wait a second, we can't just isolate into our house. We have to take care of our community. We have to become part of our community. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I love that. Okay, but then that only takes us so far. Then you have the universal consciousness, right? Now you got to see yourself as part of the whole, echo and car, as we would say in Kundalini Yoga. I am one with, with all beings. Mm. And that includes animals, anything that can carry consciousness, which is rocks, trees, everything, right? Victor has to start seeing the whole body, the whole health of the body. He has to see how you're living, what your personal habits are, what you're eating. He has to take in your marriage, your emotional environment. Everything has to be taken into account and for him to start helping you cure yourself of a disease. Mm -hmm. A guy like me has to teach you to see that you're part of the whole or you'll never join into universal consciousness. And socially, we're not going to get anywhere with this environmental cause collapsing all around us if we don't start seeing all of humankind and all of the animals that are affected by acid rains and all these things in the ocean. If we don't start seeing all of life as precious, then we're not going to solve the environmental crisis that's in front of us for the next hundred years. So you see, it's all the same thing. And Victor, Victor deals with your health. I might deal more with your spiritual 
part of you, the, whatever you want to say, you know, whatever you want to bring to the table on that one. <laughs> that's kind of ambiguous. But we also have things like environmental causes. We also have things like race, systemic racism, systemic sexism, all these issues that are going to need for us to take a global perspective to cure. So it's all the same thing. It's all one giant thing. You can't do one without the other. So there you are. Yeah. There's your connection. <laughs> That's a big connection. <laughs> all right. There you go, brother. You got lots to talk about now. I <laughs> know. Uh, and uh, so like, Victor, uh, when you're uh, diagnosing, because I think diagnosis in like Ayurvedic is very like different. Like, can you like kind of give us a run through like how you would like look at a patient? Yeah. So we're Ayurvedic doctors don't diagnose and we don't have patients. And there's a reason for that. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, there there's, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is in the old Ayurvedic way of thinking about illness is that they say, okay, the, the great sages of Ayurveda, whoever those people were, uh, men and women would, would say, okay, we can talk about things, conveniently as diseases because we have to have a language between us mm-hmm. but at the end at, at the end at the bottom there's no such thing as labeling a disease inside someone every imbalance takes a unique path through that person's body and we don't want to box ourselves into believing it's this disease like diabetes and then miss miss the reality of what's happening inside that person's body because we're just categorizing them so that's why we don't diagnose. And then we don't have patients because we call them rogies. It's a very similar idea, but the idea is that it's someone who has come to alleviate suffering or prevent suffering. Mm. The reason I like to use a different word is these days, we think patient in the West, that means I'm already sick and there's something already wrong with me and I need to, get, I need to go to a doctor to get corrected. The Ayurvedic paradigm of health is about preventing and reversing an imbalance. Mm-hmm. So someone says, I don't want to suffer is a, a better starting point in my body, or I, I've, I've created suffering inside my body and please help me uncreate it. Mm-hmm. So and, that, there's a distinction there. Yeah. And I love that distinction because it uh, like, yeah, that's pretty much showing like how you, how you identify your, your mind with like how it can affect your health. Like, just saying I'm a patient can make you like feel more sick or just like kind of like go into that identity rather than just being like, Hey, I'm here to alleviate suffering. You're already kind of putting your mind in a better, uh, in a better like place to go. Um, right. Like I do like that. So then like, what's like when a patient or I guess a Raja you were calling them, what were you calling a patient? Rogi. Yeah. So when a rogie comes in, uh, what's uh, the typical process for like uh, you and the rogie? Typical process is they'll come in and we'll start talking. So we like uh, someone comes in, let's say for a first consultation and get a huge variety of reasons why someone comes in. Some people come in because they say, Hey, I want to stay healthy. I heard Ayurveda can help me with that. Most of the time people are coming in because they're already feeling some kind of symptom or they've been dealing with a chronic illness that has been undiagnosable in the Western context. Mm. That's a very common experience. Or they'll come in through a friend who they've seen benefits with, or they'll come in through someone like Joe, 
who says, okay, you're taking care of your spiritual health, or you're trying to kind of reach a new layer of your own consciousness. And part of a huge part of that is staying healthy is, is being healthy through that. So that's usually how they'll come in to see someone like me. And then we'll talk. We talk for about 45 minutes for the first time. And usually within a few minutes, it becomes very apparent what the main sticking points are inside that person's lifestyle that's creating their issues. So that's important, right? A lot of times we go through, oh, you know, I just got sick one day. Yeah, yeah. That's not ever how it works. We, we're creating our health day to day, whether we realize it or not. And then maybe years down the road, we experience a health consequence that started years back because of lifestyle choices we were making. Yeah, no, that's an interesting concept. Like we're creating our health every day. That's uh, I, I like that. Because um, I don't know, what are some of the main like uh, health issues that you're kind of seeing now with people? Because you said like it's pretty apparent, like within like a few minutes that you can like start like seeing like what your like the main problems, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically, so if someone walks in, um, I mean, obesity is a huge one these days. Oh, okay. The obesity rates are climbing in the United States, as is diabetes and diabetes, hypertension, high blood pressure, obesity um, go hand in hand with each other. So it, the having one makes it a lot likely, more likely to have the next. Depression, anxiety are two huge diseases. So if someone comes in and I, they you know fill out a form, and their form has like forty different issues on it. You know, it's like, oh, my left toe hurts. My right eye is twitching. Um, I'm overweight. I have digestive issues that on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Then you can kind of just put that to the side and say, so how stressed are you every day? <laughs> yeah, there's some underlying causes there. And that's what Ayurveda is always looking for. What's mm -hmm. the underlying causes that unites all the symptoms? Oh, okay, I like that. I've had the twitchy eye before. I never knew that was. Uh... <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, all right. I did want to like, because uh, I know with Ayurvedic uh, medicine and like doctors and stuff, they they do the thing called pulse reading. Like you can read a pulse and like that's something that like apparently like you can get a lot of information from. Um, can you like maybe like tell my audience like uh, what you're kind of like reading when you're like doing that? Yeah. So there are different varieties of pulse reading and I do one variety and Joe does another variety and, um, pulse reading is this very ancient, beautiful art form of learning how to perceive what's going on inside someone. The idea is that the pulse, you know, created from the heartbeat carries tons of information about the state of the body. And by manipulating the arteries, this is Ayurvedic pulse reading. Okay. By manipulating the arteries, you can prompt the body to express different kinds of information. So it's much more than beats per minute or something like that. But you can read the status of the vital organs from the pulse. You can read the status of the qualities of the tissues like muscle, fat, bone, nerve, etc. And you can read the qualities of what are called in Ayurveda, the doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha which are the natural forces that make up the functionality of our bodies. Okay. And then, so that's one, that's kind of an Ayurvedic way of saying, okay, 
let's, let's take the body and how do we assess that? Then there's a yogic version of pulse reading, which I'll let Joe talk about. Yeah. Um, all right. It's not as, um, I read the back of your neck, your pulses in the back of your neck. And I'm able to feel what you're feeling inside your body. And also, if you're open to it, we can do some healing around it by exchange of prana. So okay. it's, a, it's an energy healing that uh, can be done through the, it's an old Hindu ancient, it, you'll, it's in the old books. It's, it was around thousands of years ago. And I just, uh, through some guidance from some teachers and stuff, I rediscovered it and learned how to do it. So that's awesome. not as it's not as well documented as Victor's way. And Victor wrote a book on pulse reading. Do you know? Was that known? Yeah, he's now it is. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote a book on the subject. He's so knowledgeable on it. He's really a great pulse reader. Yeah, that's impressive. And I love the whole idea of like you can read a pulse and then like actually get information from different parts of your body, like. Yeah, that sounds just like so cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, well, the heart is the is the mind of the body. So, reading the impulses of the heart is like listening to the organ in your body that speaks most directly to you. Mm. It's not the brain. It's after all, they're finding out it's the heart that holds the mind. Yeah. So that's a common cycle we see in in the health world these days. Is that you know you get these Ayurvedic texts that are thousands upon thousands of years old and there'll be a statement in the text that says the seat of the mind is the heart and then there's some explanation but you know they don't do double blind studies and things like that in those texts mm. um and so of course when those texts were written the student was sitting there in front of a teacher and would accept that and just like if you're sitting in a at Stanford Med School these days and the teacher says, you know, cortisol is a hormone released by the whatever, mm -hmm. then the student will just go, oh, yeah, OK, they're not going to go and, you know, into a lab and research everything and spend 20 years proving what the teacher said. Yeah, it's just accepted. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Same way in Ayurveda. So we got to think about it like that. So but now what's happening is that. We all think if I say point to your mind, most people are going to point to their head. Mm -hmm. But back in the days when Ayurveda was the predominant system of medicine in what's now called India, someone say point to the mind, they point to their heart. Okay. And now all this research is coming out that's showing that actually the mind is more localized in the heart region than it is in the brain region. Really? And yeah. And are you talking like more of like uh, kind of like where you're being conscious from, where you're making your decisions from, where your instincts are coming from? Is that kind of what you're saying? Nerve impulses, um, output from what the heart creates and like magnetic fields, things like that. And just how we're wired, basically, oh, okay. for the most part. So the brain, of course, has tons of functions. There's no question about that. And the mind actually is pervasive throughout the entire body. Mm -hmm. but it's thrown or the place it resides the most or the place it or originates from mm. the heart, not the brain. Oh, all right. I love that. Like that. <laughs> yeah. That's a curveball, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to have to, yes. Start yeah. doing those heart opening uh, meditations, <laughs> I guess. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Right. So well, that's, so when we're reading pulses, we're reading the voice of the heart mm. or the and mind. Yeah, yeah. relating to your mind rather than to your brain. 
All right. I, and like, uh, that seems like a smarter thing to do. So I, yeah. I like that. Um, Thanks, man. And you talked about doshas. Um, I don't know who wants to explain uh, doshas to my audience, but uh, either of you, uh, like, if you don't mind. I'll let the doctor do it. All right. Dosha. Dosha is a force of nature. Okay. So uh, Ayurveda is an elemental healing system, and that makes it an energetic healing system because elements meaning fire, water, earth, air, ether. Mm -hmm. uh, I said that too fast. Ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Mm. And so now some people are sitting there thinking, there, there's not a fire in my body. Like, what, what is this? You know, it's like, of course not. There's not a fire in your body. What that's to say is that fire is used as a metaphor to express certain qualities in nature. Um, mainly destruction of something into its component parts. Yeah. And our body does do that quite often through the metabolism. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, one of the main things it does. <laughs> it's one of the main things it does. So that's what we mean. So that our body possesses these qualities that are akin to fire mm. as a basic element in nature. So the doshas are two are a combination of any two elements. So if you take fire and you get water, that creates pitta. Pitta meaning the qualities of fire and the qualities of water combine to make basically acid. Mm. So a destructive liquid. Yeah. Versus vata, which is ether and air. So you take the qualities of spaciousness and movement, and then that's how everything moves through your body. Oh, okay. For any movement to occur, you need some form of space. Yeah. Yeah. That's vata. And then earth or uh, kapha is earth and water. And combine those two things, you get a malleable structure. Mm -hmm. And that creates the forms of our body, yeah. the containers for the liquids and movement. Okay. And so you take those things in different proportions and you get someone's constitution. And the idea in Ayurveda is that when your doshas are in balance with your natural birth constitution, you'll stay healthy. When they go out of balance, you get sick. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I like that. And I think that's actually a good uh, transition to like, I did want to talk a little bit about um, the vagus nerve you were, I, I remember seeing on your website, you were talking about and like kind of like influencing your like parasympath parasympathetic nervous system and stuff. And uh, I guess that kind of like shows like, um, I don't know, this is kind of something that you kind of shows like how your mind can really like influence your body a little bit, uh, quite a bit. Um, do you mind going into that a little bit? Uh, no, not at all. And it, it relates really well to yoga as, um, in addition. So the mind and body are one. They're not two different things. We just <laughs> like to talk about them as two different things. Um, the vagus nerve is this huge nerve that connects all your sense organs to all your vital organs and vice versa. So it's a two-way street. Information travels throughout your entire body through the vagus nerve. And what's important about that is if I am in the world and I, I'm hearing, smelling, seeing, tasting, feeling the world through my five senses, that is going to get experienced by all my internal organs. And then my vagus nerve will determine whether I'm safe or whether I feel threatened. And it's not the, there's a, I'm, I'm shortcutting the language here. It's not that the <laughs> vagus nerve determines that, but you know, we just, we have to talk about it somehow. So my, I'm, I'm always sensing my environment 
And if I feel, if my environment is peaceful and safe or perceived as peaceful and safe, whether it is or not, then my body will enter into a certain physiological state. That state is good, rest, digest, reproduce, have fun, socialize, laugh, play, all good. If I sent threat in my environment, my entire physiology changes, like within less than a second, mm. my entire physiology changes. And now I stop digesting, I stop resting, I become hypervigilant, I look for other threatening cues in my environment, and my body starts to utilize a lot more energy to either run away from the threat, fight the threat, or pretend like, or freeze so that hopefully the threat passes by. Mm. So that's the basic fight, flight, freeze reflexes. And so my, I'm always sensing my environment to determine which state I'm in. So like, for example, if someone's doing a yoga practice and they sit down to meditate, but when they close their eyes, they start having all these fearful thoughts that maybe they can't do this. Oh my God, I have to go to work. If I don't go to work, I'm going to get fired. If I get fired, then I won't be able to feed my family. I'm really stressed out. So now I can't meditate. Because I got to go. Mm -hmm. So that's being in your sympathetic nervous system. That's perceiving threat, whether it's there or not. And now that's going to reflect in your body and you're not going to be able to regenerate, rejuvenate, digest, reproduce any of that stuff very well at all mm. for as long as you're stressed. And the reality of our modern day is we spend way too much time in that state. So practices like yoga, pranayama, meditation and mantra are built to help us move from a sympathetic state to a parasympathetic state. Heck yeah. And um, yeah, like, I, oh, you want to say something, Joe? No, no, I was laughing at you because you said heck yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, uh, and uh, I've been doing some pranayama <laughs> in the last uh, couple of years, and this is breath work. And I've like, this has actually been the one like, cause I've been meditating for over a decade and like meditation always helps, but like pranayama, like breath work has taken it to like another level of just like being able to like calm down the nervous system and get into those restful states, like way more easily because like, it, it seems like what you're saying, like, uh, do you think like from the most part for health that um, our mental states might be are like the biggest contributors to like, health or disease by far and yeah you could talk about that all, all disease starts in the subtle body and then moves into the mental body and then into the physical body and subtle body would be your outer bodies where you're relating to what we were talking about consciousness things like that mm -hmm. so you know look at our society today look at our lifestyle today we've totally disconnected from that right even even in a yoga class there's really not much conversation going on about connecting yourself to a much deeper place of consciousness it's all about using yoga to just get through your stressful days you know pranayama now is taught pranayama was the basis of all yoga there was not there wasn't really asanas for thousands of years connected to yoga it was all training someone how to breathe and then doing the meditations with that. But nowadays it's like, right, it's six o'clock at night. You've had a stressful day. You come into a yoga class, you sit down in front of the teacher and you go, okay, help me reduce my stress so I can sleep tonight. 
right? So it's all about taking you from like a negative 10 to a negative two so you can get some sleep that night. Mm. It's not about a lifestyle where you live in the positive six, seven, you know, and the higher chakras all day long. Like Victor's example was, you know, surviving the lower chakras. How do I make a living so that I can eat? That's the first chakra. You know, we're not, we're not living in the six and seven chakras anymore where we're like, Hey, you know what I, what I need to do is pranayama because I, I don't feel connected to the higher calling of my divinity. I mean, not many students walk in and ask you to do that for them at six o'clock at night. They just want to survive the evening so they can sleep and go back to work the next day to make a living to take care of their first chakra. So we've kind of turned the whole system upside down on its head. And we examine it from that point of view, which gets a little tricky. Um, it's kind of, again, it's like, it's like having been living a life with Western doctors and talked about disease and specific, you know, you have liver something. And then you walk in and talk to a guy like Victor into an Ayurvedic doctor and they start talking to you holistically. It's kind of, you got to have a complete shift of mindset because you're standing, it's standing on its head. You've come from a Western mindset of like treatment of a disease. And now you're talking to someone who talks about changing your lifestyle so that you never even get the disease. Mm -hmm. That's a complete shift of mindset. So you know, you're using pranayama probably to because, you know, you haven't been able to get to the depth of meditation you wanted to. Mm -hmm. So now you you're using pranayama to calm down your central nervous system, your adrenal glands that are going to allow you to be in a calmer state that puts you into a parasympathetic state that then allows you to go into deeper meditation. Mm hmm. Yep, Can you imagine exactly if you it. started pranayama because from a deep state of meditation, what would your pranayama like be like then? I um, have no idea. I always yeah, do it the other go. way around. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, man. That's, that's so you're saying I should try a little meditation first and then hit yeah, it? No, <laughs> I'm saying I'm saying I understand that you can't reach the depth of meditation you want to because you're living in an environment, a personal environment, a larger environment mm -hmm. that is so stressful and so agitating. The food you're eating is agitating. The way you're digesting your food is agitating. Your relationships are agitating. You know, your, <laughs> your environment that's full of toxicity. I mean, that's really what the environmental problem is, is that we have too much carbon dioxide and things like that. It's all irritating. That's why it can kill you. It irritates you. Mm. Um, all the, so you have all this irritation going on and a guy like you is so irritated, whether you realize it or not, that it's very difficult to get from your sympathetic state to your parasympathetic state. It's very difficult. Yeah. So it, it's not the same as if you're already living in your parasympathetic state and you use pranayama and meditative practices to enhance an already parasympathetic state. And that's nothing to do with you personally. That's not your fault. I'm not faulting someone or shaming and blaming them. I'm saying it's the environment that we live in and every toxicity contributes to that, whether it's emotional toxicity or physical, you know, toxicity in the air, the water, the food, all those things contribute to that. And that's why a lot of yogis were vegetarian and vegans is because they don't have the acidic stimulation of meat and animal proteins in their body, which is very stimulating and makes it very difficult to reach 
deep meditation. That's why they're vegetarians. It's not because they, you know, some other causes. It's yeah. And uh, I guess when you're trying to get into like the deepest meditative states, like you're trying to not stimulate your body as much. So like you want to eat in simply would be the best thing to do. Um, Yeah. yeah, Because you want to, you want your body to be like as sensitive to like whatever you go. That's what like meditation is. Try to be as sensitive to like the present moment, if you will. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's beautifully said. And that's why a lot of them didn't even participate in a sexual relationship. Not that I'm advocating that. I'm just saying that's, it's just follow the thread there. They're just trying to reduce any kind of external stimulation that would cause their adrenal glands to kick on because mm. then that, that, that makes it, then your mind becomes active and your brain becomes active and pretty soon you're not, you're, you're having trouble meditating. So they tried to reduce all of that out of their life and just, hit this really calm, deep space of meditation to mm-hmm. open up their pineal gland. Yeah. To, to the beyond of the beyond. <laughs> you know, all the fun stuff. Yeah, the fun stuff. Um, so like when we're talking about this, like uh, switching from the parasympathetic to the sympathetic um, nervous system, like, do you think uh, like the reason people get addicted to stuff like kind of results from like these kind of two different states i mean yeah you hit the jackpot and i promise to the to people listening i did not ask you to ask that question (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, the yes so there's this whole there's a great he's a wonderful scientist of the modern era his name is stephen porges Um, he wrote the polyvagal theory and he talks a lot about that in the polyvagal theory Uh, he he kind of uncovered a lot of the modern way we look at the vagus nerve through addiction and regulation. So the body, your body, my body, Joe's body, everyone's body wants to primarily reside in the parasympathetic nervous system. That's where it functions normally. The sympathetic nervous system is only really supposed to kick on when you're doing kind of strenuous work for a short period of time. Or when there's a threat present, which shouldn't happen very much in our life, right? If you Mm -hmm. want to live a a happy life, you shouldn't have to worry about being, you know, your life being threatened or being in danger every day you walk down the street. It should happen very rarely, basically. Mm -hmm. So our body has this system that's capable of dealing with that, which is great. But these days it's happening way too much. And so the body's always trying to get from the sympathetic back into the parasympathetic. But sometimes that can break down. Our body's not capable of doing that, or we're just constantly perceiving so much threat. Sometimes it's real. Sometimes it's not that it's like the body's like, no, 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 no. Stay wound up, stay tense because you might have to move at any second. You Mm. might have to deal with the problem at any second. And so but then the body's other functions like digesting food properly, healing properly, sleeping properly are crying out too. They're saying, Hey, we need this to happen. Otherwise this body's going to break down. So there's this dynamic tension between the two nervous systems. And then like, let's say, okay, let's take someone working in a high stress environment, like an emergency room all day long. Their sympathetic nervous system. Oh my God, I got to deal with this crisis, this crisis. If I don't do this right now, someone's going to die. They're going to, you know, like 
all day long. They're in that threatened state. They go home at the end of the day at seven o'clock in the morning. Cause a lot of them work night shifts mm. and they're, I mean, they're strung out. Like they're wired. Their, their nervous system has been on go mode for hours and days. And now they don't have time to wind down just naturally. That might take a day. Yeah. So let me take a substance that makes that process happen really fast. Yeah. Like alcohol. So I'm going to drink now. So, and then, so the body crashes. That's an attempt to regulate from the sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system. Then wake up uh, hours later. It's like the body's still exhausted because it didn't feel its healing process, finish its healing process. Because one, one night's sleep is not enough or one day's sleep is not enough to deal with a, a situation that's been going on for years. Mm. Like a two-week vacation is not enough to heal uh, chronic issues that have been going on for 15 years or whatnot. Hey, especially if you're drinking so, every night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so now what happens, I wake up and it's like, Oh my God, I got to get to work. I got to get back into my sympathetic nervous system. Give me two cups of coffee, a stimulant. Mm. So we use food and we use substances to jolt our body into one state or the other. But of course there are going to be consequences to that. Mm -hmm. Of course. And so Ayurveda says, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> don't engage in that pattern, right? Don't, and, yeah. And like, yeah, you're right. That is a pattern because you're just going to go, like you said, you're chasing like the depressant in one sense. And then the, you're chasing the one that like the stimulant and the other one. And yeah, you're just going back and forth. And yeah, I can see those ups and downs. And I can see how that works with uh, I mean, not depression, addiction, like, because when you're constantly uh, trying to get back to that parasympathetic state, the state where rest and healing and all that stuff happens, like you're going to want to get those substances that like take you back and you're just training your mind to basically be like, Oh, this substance takes me there. So I might as well keep going for that. And yeah, that, that doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do. Yeah. And there's another layer to it. So that's one layer, but then, you know, a lot of times I'll see people in the clinic They'll come in and they'll say, okay, this is my life. And it's, it's like, okay, well, do you want to make some changes? And they have the awareness. They really do. They, they want, there's a desire. They, and there is consciousness around it. Or I'll say awareness around it. I won't say consciousness around it. Mm. It's like, I know my problem. I've had all the realizations about my problem. Yet, I, I, it seems like when I go to change, I run up against this wall inside myself and I find myself doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That's a perfect description of the, our kind of awareness life versus our autonomic nervous system life. The autonomic nervous system being the parasympathetic, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. Mm. That autonomic nervous system is that resistance against change that you know would be good for you. And we have to learn how to train our autonomic nervous system, just like we have to learn how to train anything in our nervous system to respond differently so that we can make different choices without a huge wave of resistance coming against us. And that's really where addiction it, it comes into play is, is I know I shouldn't smoke the cigarettes, but it's like this drive in my body is so intense 
yeah. that I'm going, I'm going to, because if I don't, then I, now I got to deal with all my fears and now we're getting into the mind <laughs> and it's going to come down to, and this is another big part of the Vegas nerve is isolation and loneliness. Lo- when loneliness goes up, addiction goes up. And that's because like your like fears start to go a little bit more crazy when you're uh, by yourself. Is that what you're kind of saying? Because the root fear is a fear of loneliness. One of the major root fears. So we are wired to be social. That's another part of the vagus nerve and the nervous system interactions. Like you looking at my face, me looking at your face actually is changing both of our physiologies right now in a positive way. Um, So we're regulating each other, our nervous systems. When a human is isolated or alone, they don't get that. It's, and they're not getting a necessary uh, nutrient, let's say to life. Mm. So you get, you know, you get there. It's not a coincidence that the Marlboro man, the, the Mm. lone soldier, the ultimate icon of isolation. And, you know, I can do everything by myself. Cowboy Mm. is also paired with the, one of the world's greatest addictions. Yeah. And died of lung cancer. And died of lung cancer. Yeah. So there's, that's not a coincidence. I'm not saying that the people who chose that icon did that on purpose. I'm saying that's so deeply built into us as an archetype that it just gets projected into the world. That's, uh, yeah, that's crazy. And uh, yeah, and I bet you this like loneliness and like uh, isolation, which it seems like is becoming like more prevalent in our society is just gonna, yeah, it's something we need to work on. Because I know what you're kind of saying, just being around people does kind of like, make you feel a lot more at ease. Unless if you have social anxiety, then it might be the exact other way around. (laughs) Yeah, but the social anxiety, the social anxiety came from wounds of the past, from mm. from socialization gone wrong, mm. maybe with a parent or a friend or some whatever. Everyone's got a unique story there. Mm-hmm. But then that creates a problem. And those people usually suffer from I, there was a study done that um, basically, I mean, long story short, it's the the worst kind of more abusive or harmful childhood you had the your chances of having an autoimmune disease were just like through the roof yeah and actually yeah, that autoimmune disease thing uh i found like and i know a lot of uh, friends and like family who suffer from, with these kind of diseases and like it seems like this is something that's really like becoming like a like something big and like an epidemic almost and like just society i've seen so many people with different types of auto immune diseases and this is basically where the immune system starts attacking itself isn't that pretty much what an autoimmune disease is yeah but you you know it also likes to take advantage of people who have bad autoimmune problems what virus is oh yeah no that's true so who's dying of COVID 19 yeah, like uh, a lot of people with pre-existing conditions, right? Autoimmune deficiencies. Mm-hmm. That's who it goes after first. Yeah. And so like uh, in like uh, Ayurvedic uh, medicine, like how do you guys like look at an autoimmune disease or like do you, it's like, I guess there's probably a hundred different ways of like looking sure. at it, but. <laughs> yeah, but we could kind of get into the root, the roots of it. Yeah. So an autoimmune yeah. disease is a is when the immune system loses its intelligence in Ayurveda and starts attacking your own tissue okay. when it when it shouldn't. So that's we we have this tendency to villainize like inflammation in our 
society because, oh, inflammation. Inflammation is a necessary part of the healing process. So, you know, you, you go through the day, you get some wear and tear in your body naturally. Mm-hmm. And you go to sleep and largely at night, your body will start to repair that tissue. Part of that tissue, part of that repair is creating inflammation as a temporary. It brings a lot of supplies to the site of construction. Yeah, so exactly, to speak. exactly. The only time it's a problem is when there's too much inflammation or when the body is trying to inflame a part of the body that actually isn't damaged. That's more like autoimmune. But a lot of times an autoimmune disease is reflective of a deeper issue in the body. So if the body has excess toxicity and that triggers an immune system response, then the body will create a lot of inflammation. And we say, oh, I have an autoimmune disease or something like that. And, you know, if my body's attacking healthy tissue, that's not completely true. Like, let's say in the case of eczema, if you have excess toxicity in your system and it tries to be evacuated through the sweat glands, which is one of the primary sites of evacuation for um, waste in our body is mm-hmm. through sweat glands. And, but it's producing too much and certain kind of toxic substances get stuck inside the pores of the skin. It's very likely your immune system might go after that in an attempt to relieve it. But if there's too much, the immune system can't do it. You can get a chronic inflammatory situation. Well, so it's autoimmune. Yeah, but there's something else going on, which is what's your diet? Why are you constantly producing so much toxicity in your system? Not just what's your diet, what's your stress levels? What are you like when you're eating all that? It's all going to always layer. And I don't want to just say trace it back to the cause. It's layered from the cause down. You got to address all those layers if you want to heal from a situation like that. Yeah. And that seems like, uh, it seems like a little bit of like extensive work or like work over time to like, uh, really come back from those kind of like, I don't know if you want to call them diseases or whatever you want to call them. Sure. Pathologies. Pathologies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and that's, and you hit on something major there, which is so, okay. Let, let just play along with me for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's say you sit down in front of me in a chair and say, okay, I've got this herb, right? And if you take this herb for two weeks, your, your problem will go away. Okay. Or we're going to go on a process that's going to take six months to a year. You're going to have to change a lot of things. Some things you're willing to change, some things you don't want to change. But if you want to heal, you're going to have to change all those things. And it's going to be pretty tough. Which one are you going to take? Give me the herb. (laughs) Right. Okay. Now forget herb. Here's this pill. If I give you this pill, your problem's going to go away. Or here's this surgery. If I give you this surgery, your problem's going to go away. Right. Or you can go on this six month to four year process to truly heal the root cause. But in doing so, you're going to have to change your life and it's going to be pretty hard. Which oh, one? Yeah. Which <laughs> one? Pill and surgery, please. <laughs> All right. So there's the there's the problem with our with right. People don't want to work for their health. They'll work for money. They'll work for whatever. They'll work for whatever it is they want, but they don't want to work for their health. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, I know what you're saying. That's uh, it's kind of depressing a little bit, but like, I know what you're saying. That's uh, very true. And um, I, 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 and like at the end of the day, anytime you do the real stuff, the real work to like actually make yourself feel healthy and vibrant and all of that stuff, 
it, it's worth it that it, like um even like how uh joe was saying like uh coming to like a more conscious or universal conscious uh like kind of level like all of that work it's worth it that it, it, it helps you like live your life better it helps you interact better or even find more of a purpose in your life and makes you happier so like the long work is definitely worth it. Uh, that's what I'll tell my audience right now. So hopefully they do the long work. <laughs> uh, and I did, we have to talk about diet because I know uh, Ayurvedic um, um, looks at diet in a different way. So uh, whoever feels like answering it, like just, can you tell us how like Ayurvedic uh, medicine looks at food and like different types of food and how we should be eating? Yeah, you're the food guy. Well, I'm the chef, but <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> He's the yogi chef. Yeah, he he cooks vegetarian chef. every day for the community here. Oh, sweet. Um, well, if you're going to really get into it, you'd have to go back to what Victor was talking about, the three dosha types, because really you should eat for your dosha type or at least what's out of balance. So, if, but let's just take the normal American diet right now. It's, it's very acidic. It's overly acidic. So that's going to create too much fire. Remember that fire thing, the pitta? Mm -hmm. So our lifestyle, is American lifestyle is pretty most, a lot of it's overly pitta. Um, so a lot of diets that we have to do are nutrition. I don't really, it's not a diet in the sense of losing weight, but, you know, is to try to calm down the acidicness of your diet and try to move you towards alkaline. Mm. So a lot of vegetables, um, you don't want to eat fried foods. You want to stay away from stimulating things like garlic and onions. You want to stay away from uh, vegetables even that are heating. So you don't want hot chilies and things like that. Mm. So all of those create more acid. There's a lot. There's a whole lot there. We don't have time, but um, you can just come over for lunch and I'll teach you. But um, so you want to you want to calm down the acidicness in your diet for most Americans. That's probably going to be what they need to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that anything's really bad. It just means that most people are out of balance acidically. And so we need to move towards alkaline, but there's a time and a place for a meat or um, fish, you know, but now you got to talk organic and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you are super vata, if you really have a bad vata condition, Victor might want you to eat meat or eat some fish or something like that. Mm. So if you're malnourished, things like that, and you can still digest it. So, you know, the saying in Ayurveda isn't you are what you eat. It's you are what you digest. So okay. all of that has to be taken into account. Uh, we have to know what you're present state of your digestion is and whether or not you can even what you can digest and what you cannot digest um, things like that all have to be taken into account before we come up with your nutritional scheme and counsel you on that and then you got to talk to a guy like me who knows how to make that taste good <laughs> yeah 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 like uh one thing, like I'm, I'm a big like vegetable guy, so I ne never have issues with that. But I do like I'm a huge curry guy too, so I'm like garlic, ginger, and like chilies. Like that's almost daily for me. So I'm not sure if that's uh the smartest thing. If uh, what you're saying is correct. 
Well, notice how you don't have any hair on your head. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, nope, not kidding you. It's less genetic than people like to think. It's excess pitta. And that's so like that would be excess what chilies and like uh well you just need to you need to you need to think cooling and calming as far as your nutrition. Oh, okay. And that would be more like fruit and vegetables. Yeah, and how you're preparing those fruits and vegetables and in what combinations you eat them. You don't want to eat a lot of fruit and then eat other things because then it ferments in your stomach. That's how you make alcohol. Because it stays in your stomach too long if you eat it with other things? Fruit, fruit stays in your stomach for about a half hour. And if you introduce a lot of grains or things like that at the same time, it ferments in your stomach. That's how you make alcohol. They take grains and fruit and put them together. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's like a yeah. go and get a DUI after eating some old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not a, exactly. that's not a good thing. Not a good thing. <laughs> so you're fermenting your food in your stomach and creates excess heat. So you got to be careful about combinations. But yes, vet, uh, you want to eat a lot of vegetables uh, and you want to eat vegetables that are like, you know, you've heard of the saying cool as a cucumber. Mm -hmm. Ah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, zucchini, carrots, you know, all those asparagus, all those kind of vegetables that are pretty easy to digest and pretty calming and neutral. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so when you uh, like uh, when you're talking about like eating like for me like because like curry is like a big part of my like dinners usually like curry, uh, how how curry like, would be fine. It's just a, how do you prepare the curry? Oh. So I would, I would ask you to quit putting onions and garlic in it. Okay. Uh, if you have to have that flavor, put a little bit of hing or asafoetida. tito. You, you've probably, you come on, you're from the culture. No. A little bit of hing, H-I-N-G, get hing. Okay. Use that as a garlic onion substitute. Also for the onion, just for the texture of it, chop up a, a, a fennel, fennel bulb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, eat that instead of an onion. Okay. Um, and then, you know, your curries. You can make a coconut curry. Coconut is very cooling. I, I do have uh, coconut curries every once in a while. <laughs> okay. So you can make a coconut curry and then just add like zucchini and squashes and asparagus and carrots. Mm -hmm. And make them organic and fresh. Don't use frozen foods. Yeah. Okay, and then put that over a nice basmati rice. Yeah, no, you're pretty much uh, explaining a little bit of uh, just, uh, yeah, just add a bunch of hot chilies to that, and that's what I'm doing. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is this like when you're like making dishes like that, um, and you're mixing these foods, like, uh, like, do you take, it's kind of like to look at every food, like you said, like add the coconut milk, it cools, add some like vegetables, like asparagus and stuff, and mm -hmm. eggplant, zucchini, that kind of cools. And yeah. then... Put some fresh coconut, put also co whole coke, you know, ground coconut in your coconut curry. So you get the advantages of that. And then put, you know, coriander. Um, yeah. uh, I wouldn't put much, a little bit of cumin will be all right. Cumin's a strong flavor, but coriander, you can definitely put turmeric in it, put um, uh, cardamom in it. Mm -hmm. Put cardamom that. You would like I, that in your coconut curry. Yeah, yeah, I put that in. <laughs> yeah, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> uh, you could put a little powdered fennel. You could put some fenugreek in it, powder. Um, 
You can put a little meti leaves in it. This kind of gives it a sweet flavor. Okay. Yeah. No, this is uh, good. Uh, good advice. I'm going to have to <laughs> take that uh, into account. Um, put all your Indian herbs in it, but stay away from the heating ones. Stay away from the spicy ones. Yeah. Don't put all your digestive herbs, cumin, coriander, and things like that. Yeah. No, and uh, those ones that uh, definitely are like kind of a mainstay for most curries anyway. So I, I don't sure. think that'll be too hard. Right. Um, all right. Uh, well, uh, all right. So we're pretty much close to the end here. Uh, you guys were a lot of fun. I, I got one more question. It's the question of the podcast. Uh, you guys can answer any way you guys want. So uh, right. go nuts. Uh, but uh, Victor and Joe, God, yay or nay? Yay. For sure, yay. <laughs> yay. <laughs> with a little bit of a delay i don't know how confident i'm in that answer <laughs> I, I was i was trying to think of something more clever and then i'm like why why it's just yay <laughs> uh, here's awesome. a here's the we got to add this god's inside not outside nice yeah that's what, that's i gotta like, add that part to it that's a very uh, yoga way of looking at it uh, for thank sure. You, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys are a thank lot you, of brother. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell my audience uh, where they can find you guys? I know you guys uh, help uh, train people too. Uh, so uh, please uh, just let my audience know and uh, if they're interested in learning more. We also like to go into companies and do trainings. So we do that also. Sweet. Yeah. You can find us really easily at... International Institute of Ayurveda. It's www.iiayurveda.com. So that's I-I-A-Y-U-R-V-E-D as in dog, A.com. And yeah, like, like Noor said, we do, we train Ayurvedic professionals. Um, we also do a lot of workshops for people who are looking to improve their health. We have a clinic. And so you can always reach out to us to schedule an appointment for your personal health. And so and on. I, and I'll be happy to give you any advice on how to cook. If you just want to send Victor emails, I'll, I'll email you back with tips on how to make food taste good. That's healthy. Awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll toss that website in the podcast description. So it'll be an easy click for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was so much fun guys. And I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. We appreciate, Thanks, man. We appreciate you having us. All right, that was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NoorKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NoorKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.